Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi, and a warm welcome to you from all of us here at Ausbiz. This is The Call, 10 companies picked by you, two expert guests, over one hour, plus a stock of the day, and you never know what's going to come from my guests. We often get little insights into their strategies, little insights into other companies that they either like or are ready to steer clear of. So I'm really pleased to welcome to the studio here at Barangaroo, Luke Winchester, joining us from Meriwether Capital, and also Mark Moreland from Team Invest. It's been such a long time, guys. I'm excited for this. All right. are you excited for reporting season, Mark? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, you think it's going to be good, bad, somewhere in between? No, well, obviously, we're interested in the companies we like. Yeah. And of those, I think they're going to be pretty good. Okay. Retail is going to be the most interesting, I think, because there's already been a lot of um, uh, assumptions of a recession and sales going down in the prices. So a lot of the PEs yeah. are really, really low. Mm-hmm. But companies like JB Hi-Fi and Nick Scarly haven't said anything, which means, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's getting to the point yeah. now where if they, it's too late to say anything now yeah. other than their report, but not saying anything if there was a big down if they had a big yeah. drop in earnings then they'd probably have some problems mm. so with the full you know the disclosure rules mm-hmm. so i think it's going to be better than what people think for the good ones you correct me if i'm wrong just going by memory you own jb hi-fi yeah. and uh you're not concerned at all um no. even if there is a little bit of no a- because, no the reason is we're not traders yeah. so we're taking i'm looking at it on a five-year horizon yeah jb hi-fi has been a consistent performer as far as the great managers and they've you know, got the last one of the lowest cost structures in the world. So, and we've got all this massive increase of population coming in and I think that will compensate more than the slowdown effect of mortgages and uh, consumer spending. But time will tell. Yes. But even anyway, even if it even if it does, even if they do have a flat earnings report, which is flat would be good. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. So flat's yeah. good. Um, it's cheap already. So the question is, if you buy buy them now pre, yeah, uh, is, it, is it going to be the best price or is it better to wait till they report? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of those answers will be right. But it doesn't matter on the scheme, in the scheme of things because in the long term, it's cheap enough that I think I'll, we'll, we'll get 20% return on a five-year average. So that's what we're looking for. Um, some of the small cap retailers, have you been dipping your toes in the water or still too soon? I'd love to be a contrarian investor, but no, even I haven't been brave enough to do that yet. Um, completely agree though, the prices, you know, you look at where average valuations have been to where they are today, 
Markets pricing and probably 50% pullback in the yeah. earnings for a lot of these businesses. Um, you know, particularly the more discretionary exposed ones like Dusk and Adairs and those sorts of guys. Um, they're they're well and truly on my you know watch list. Keep an eye on them. I think they do look really interesting, and it's certainly the part of the market where, if you did want to be a contrarian, retail is it is the most beaten down sector. Um, Tech's obviously had a strong rally after it was sold off last year. So yes, looking. I, I wish I could say I have dipped the toe in, but but not yet. Um, so let's wait and see. I'm excited for reporting season. And I think it's the outlooks that will really be important. You know, as, as Mark sort of said, we've had updates from a lot of businesses as to where numbers will be. And, and um, a lot of businesses have confirmed either guidance or consensus. But the important numbers or sorry, the important outlooks will be um, where people see the economy and the consumer going, particularly over that next six months. I was thinking of you the other day because I speak with a lot of people, as you know, on the small caps and, you know, there's been lots of positivity or the expectation of a turnaround in the smaller end of the market. Are you hopeful as well? Yeah, yeah. Cautiously optimistic, I said to someone yesterday. Um, So you've seen that confidence creep back into the larger end of the market as we've sort of seen the what we think is the hopefully the peak of inflation and and interest rates with that. Um, And the economy on all, you know, employment, growth metrics holding up pretty well. Well. So I think that the likelihood of that soft landing, which, you know, however you want to define that, it, it looks like it could well happen. And so you've seen the market do well at the top end. The longer that's gone on, the more it's starting to creep down. And as you said, a lot of the companies are still coming out with good numbers and good updates. So, you know, we've seen some big bounces in a lot of smaller micro caps, which, you know, for me yeah. is, is quite exciting. And, and hopefully reporting season is just another leg of that. All right. Okay, guys, let's get to, um, yeah, the program at hand. In this half, we'll be speaking about J-Ride, Felix Gold, Helios, QV Equities, and BWP Trust. But the stock of the day is mad pause. I just wanted to take it to the small end of the market. I wanted to stay away from lithium, truth be known. And I did notice this quarterly coming from mad pause. Revenue up 41% on the previous corresponding period at $6.5 million. It says that it expects to have positive underlying earnings for the June quarter and to be earnings positive across the whole company in the next quarter. So it's got cash for around $3 million as of the end of June. And it says that it remains very focused on its pet chemist range, its private label products, and its marketplace as well. So stock of the day is mad pause. Bit cheeky of me to pick this because whilst it plays to Luke's strengths, I know you don't like companies necessarily that haven't been around for 10 years or more, but do you own or do you have uh, the pleasure of a pet in your home? No, that was died. <laughs> the, the dog died a few years Aww. ago. My wife was so depressed about it. It was a Bichon freeze. We haven't, we haven't been allowed to get another one. Like yeah. a, it was like a child. And I, I said, I'd like another dog. No. Yeah, well, see, like a child. And that's why I thought we might have something to talk about with you about this one, Mark. No. I mean, some people call it a mega trend, caring for our pets. We might cut back on other spending, Actually, but it's, you're it's going a bit to continue. Because sometimes when you go out and you look at the Gen Zs, what are the youngest ones? The ones Millennials, are they? Yeah, they're, they're, right. they've got more pets than babies. Have you noticed yeah. that when you go out you sit in parks and stuff? They're, they're, they're fussing around with their animals where when I was that age, it was everyone had the kids. Mm. Yeah. It's a bit scary. I no think. judgment coming from me. I did, just as an aside, I, I just literally had to show a millennial how to use a phone <laughs> in the newsroom. Um, anyhow, Mad Paws, what does uh, this well, no, look well, like on it's, the it's only been It's only got three, uh, four years of uh, history. Uh, it's still losing a lot of money. I mean, the report was encouraging in that they 
um, they, their sales are increasing. Mm -hmm. If you look at it last year, or the last full 12 months report, they lost 10 million on 9.8 million in sales. So there's a, I would have thought that was a fairly big gulf to bridge to actually be, get to profit. They're also talking about EBITDA, which uh, what Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett call bullshit earnings. And uh, I know that everyone uses them, I'm, I'm, but the reason they say that is because it's like saying taking off tax, taking off appreciation, and we take all these expenses out, oh, and we're breaking even. Mm. I know it's a legitimate measure, uh, but what really counts is when do they get to a point of actual net profit or, or profit per share, which then you can bring a P into it, then you can start looking at what the future holds. If I pay a certain amount for it, what's my return likely to be if I have some visibility on what the profitability is, but they're not there yet. So for me, we couldn't, so I, I don't have an opinion. I think it's their sales are, are encouraging, they've jumped up solidly, and uh, that's, but until they get to profit, there's, there's no, no interest to us. We don't need 10 years, we need at least five. Okay, all right, yeah. well, oh, well, this is it. well I learned something you know, new like, today. Well, if this one in two, we, two, in two years time, for instance, if they came up with really good numbers, then we would probably start, start considering it. Yeah, but it's you, also, you, would, you would discuss it. That's right, market cap is also only, um, um, what's the market cap? 20 odd mil. 20 mil, yeah. We, we tend, usually don't look below 150. Yeah. I mean, the reason is it's a liquidity issue. Yeah. And our members have got about 5 billion invested mm -hmm. as a group. So, yeah, the small members a million. So, how many mad Porsches can you buy without moving the market? Mm -hmm. That's the other side, assuming you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, got it. All right. Um, but isn't this company in the very small end of the market exhibiting some of the characteristics that you want to see? you know, particularly as we move through this sort of paradigm shift in rates. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, as you said before, it's got some some nice trends behind it. You want to find, for micro cap businesses, we want businesses that are growing and have the potential to become much bigger. That's why we play in the micro small cap space. So having the structural tailwinds of, of the exposures, that pet thematic you were talking about, that's what you're looking for. Um, the way Mark described it is actually, I think, how the market's viewing it right now as well, which is let's just sit back and wait. Um, you know, the times when I, I say this, it was a long time ago, 2021, um, you know, you were rewarded for taking that sort of risk and getting early into businesses like this, which have the potential to build into something special. But we're at a phase now where the market well and truly is saying, let's take that seat back. Let's make sure that growth can continue. You can tip into that inflection point of, of sustainability and profitability. Um, and after those runs are on the board, that's where we'll step in. And that's been pretty consistent across the whole micro small cap space. So just before we we're talking about the sector, seeing some confidence and doing well, it's basically been limited to those companies that are profitable and are growing. Um, the rest are still sort of languishing um, as the market takes a wait and see approach to where they're going. So mad pause is still there for me. It is on my watch list because it is one of those marketplace businesses that when, if they can get that scale and get that traction, they're beautiful. We know that on, on the ASX, like, you know, um, car sales, REA, like when you create a good marketplace, they're fantastic. It'll be in a much smaller addressable mm -hmm. market, of course. Yeah. Um, but still, yeah, burning a million in this quarter, despite the EBITDA and as, you know, Mark's label there of those earnings. Um, three in the bank. The other one for me is, is Bunnings is moving the pet supplies as well. And it's always a little bit, you know, when you see the big gorillas start to move in a space, and obviously they know the thematic behind it as well. I, I'm, I've got it on my watch list, but that's where I keep okay. it for now. If, if you're there, I'd probably hold it. Yeah, you know, uh -huh. like you know, you're there for the the thesis of the growth, which they're giving it to you, and they're pretty close to that inflection. So I wouldn't go selling it now. But if you're on the sidelines, yeah, you sit there and you wait for the execution. 
Got it. Thank you. All right, that's a good way to get the program going. Yeah. We are, though, Mark. Warning: staying in the smaller end of the market, but that's because Joyce has written to us and she's given us a bit of、um, context around the company that she's picked, which is J Ride ticker code J A Y. She says she bought it when it reported an FY23 growth rate of 99%, with every metric being revenue, run rate, new initiatives coming online. Um, she also says that it's positioned to be cash flow positive in FY24. She's backing management and and the board. She said though it's not been、um, moving very much despite its promising future. You know why? I guess she's questioning aren't more in the market interesting in it. She calls it a lobster trap potentially or a slow burn. Therefore, a long long term hold. So lobster trap. That's what you're talking about liquidity. In these small companies, is that what a lobster trap is? Yeah, I read that. So what's that? So what it is is you get in, <laughs> so, but you can't get out. Yeah, also、oh, lobster trap. Yeah,、huh? lobster trap. Okay, is that like we're all learning new、okay. things today? Okay, I learned something new. Okay. So Jay Wright, it is a, 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 a an app that you can book your travel from airports ahead of time through you know some bigger websites, marketplace websites. Yeah, no, it's not a company that I've ever looked at. I had heard of it. I think probably on Ozbiz, but、yeah. the、um, I had a look at it and I thought, okay, so I read their blurb. The problem is they're like an aggregator, so they're they're taking, they're they're trying to create a business where、um, you go through JCar, who then find the cheapest ride for you and book it and so on. So they're sort of putting themselves on top of Uber and everything else as an extra a, a, extra、um, commission, if you like, or a cut. Now, to be successful in that business, it's all about how many users you have, and the users in their case aren't really retail; they're they're the travel agents, they're hotels, they're they're, they're Uh, Organisations that need to book、uh, travel for some. So, okay, there's some merit in that.、Um, I tend to look at these when you have a like Uber was a massive success because it disrupted the taxi, taxi industry. The more of these things that happen, we had Didi and others. It's very difficult for the late players to come in and actually establish a critical mass and a network in the business. Anyway, I had a look at it. So, I, I,、uh, the financials they last year they lost five million on two point six million of revenue. That's a long way away from. So, even if the the sales are up, they're off of such a low level. So, I had a look at their website and and and, and tried to book some things. I thought, you know, it's the best way to try out. So, I thought that was interesting. Airport. Uh, this afternoon, tonight, this evening, from the airport home to Rose Bay, and it was came up nicely, nice graphics and everything.、Uh, $160 was the cheapest, up to $250. I go, wow! I pay $108 for my limo. Yes, and if I if I don't do the limo, it's about a $60 for、uh, an Uber. So that was their cheapest they came up with. So they failed the the test from just my try. So I tried it a week out and see if that made a difference. Similar. So the prices they were quoting to me were absurd. So that's my, you know, single. I、text. think though, just、um, and I don't want to speak for them, that it is ease of travel in foreign countries. So you can arrive、mm. in Bali and know that you're going to get picked up, and it's paid for in your local currency and everything else. Is that what the, is that what、yeah. the benefit is? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, okay, I think so. Is that how you understand yeah, it? Yeah, basically so. I mean,、um, you know, prior to this, your Um, you know, yeah, Bali is a great example. You're booking a transfer from the airport to your accommodation. You don't really know who that is. There's no, you know, tuck, tuck. comfort or like where you land and forget that you haven't booked a way to yeah, get to your yeah. accommodation.、Um, so JRide offers obviously a brand refunds.、Yeah. That's that sort of thing. Like,、um, you know, like a lot of those sort of the in betweener, as you said. But that that's that layer that they offer on top. Um, do you want me to take over? Yeah, it's a big one. A lot of the stuff we just said about Madpaws actually applies here. They're trying to build that two-sided. You know, you bring people on, but then Mark picked it up very quickly. Their their key customers on the other side are actually travel agents and those bulk sorts of.、Um, you、Not、know, if you, you, yeah, if you jump onto Webjet,、um, I think 
Rome to Rio is the other one they have. If you book a, a transfer through those websites, their API backending into JRide. So you know you're using JRide through through the travel agent. Um, and again, they're exciting businesses if you can get them to scale and you can become that dominant brand in the space. Even though, of course, you know, in the broader travel um, addressable market, airport transfers is a small, tiny portion of that. If you can dominate it, there's money to be made, especially from a global point of view. Um, it is a global business. Europe's actually their biggest segment, which is interesting. Um, but, but again, everything I said about Mad Pause applies here. And, and um, when Joyce says it hasn't really moved, that's sort of my point before. Yeah. The market is really just sitting on the sidelines with businesses like this. No one's got the confidence to jump in and, and take okay. the risk that you'll see that come through. So if you were, I, you're not going to put a buy on it. If you were Joyce, would you hold it? You would hold it. I mean, similar to Mad Pause, operationally, you're seeing the business do what you want. So, you know, as far as your thesis is concerned, you're holding it. Um, the only other thing I would note, she, she pointed out that um, Rod Cuthbert, who founded Rome to Rio and Viator, is the chairman. That's good. He's got a good resume. He only owns 65000 dollars of the business you yeah. know like it's not huge skin in the game which you'd probably like to see but i do like i actually jotted this down joyce i like that you're thinking about that from a micro cap point of view because a lot of the time and thorny you, investments as well i don't know how much they own if you do you know yeah it's, it's actually decent like 16 odd percent yeah they're, they're substantial I mean, they're holder. usually pretty smart operators yeah so you know these are sort of stocks where you're backing the jockey as much as the horse hmm. um and it looks like you know potentially some good jockeys there now you just need the horse to yeah okay <laughs> um on. would you sell it if you were joyce or would I, you I, I didn't know you know yeah. I, I'm a, I'll pass. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, let's get to <laughs> Felix Gold. It's gold. It's a miner. No likey. Oh, well, it's not. There are a couple of miners I like. Okay. Uh, this isn't one of them. Um, but I, I don't know a lot about it, so I'll preface what I say as being I'm looking at it from a financials point of view and its performance. It's a 12 cent stock. Rather than a story. Great. It's a very small market cap. I think it's. Uh, uh, th is it 13 million? I think uh, 13 million market cap. Yeah. Uh, it's from what I understand about it, and I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong. Is they that well? They're not producing anything. They've got no earnings. Basically, what they own are lots of leases in areas that are um, very prospective. So, so yeah. I think Alaska is one of them. Alaska is yeah. Alaska. That's right. So, and so, you know, that's way above my pay grade to have any opinion on that. Yeah. But. So it has to be speculative because what you're doing is you've got nothing. You buy what you're buying is a, a, a potential. Yeah. Why would you need to buy Luke a Specky Gold Explorer in Alaska? In Alaska, well, you know, operating in Alaska, listed in Australia, when you could, if you believe that gold should be part of your portfolio, buy a Northern Star, buy a. Yeah. You know, evolution or something. I've always got the preference for the drillers and the producers, um, mm. mostly because if you've got a view that the commodity will rise, be that gold, lithium, whatever commodity you want to pick, usually that's a, a short-term view. You know, you've got a short-term view, the commodity do well. So you would want someone producing and, and earning revenue today of the view that you've got. Um, you know, if these guys do make it, it'll be years down the track before they produce. Um, I did have a quick look though. You know, very my, my main note was very speculative. You know, very in bold. Um, raised a few million dollars, uh, three million dollars a few months ago. That'll go pretty quickly on drilling. Um, they're trying to play into a bit of neurology. They're you know in a gold belt in Alaska where there's some established mines around them. Neurology. That's good. Yeah. So the idea, obviously, this is a business that will be bought rather than get to a producing mine. Um, well, when I say will, maybe bought yeah. before it gets to a producing mine. Um, it's hard to know though when you're speculating they'll hit something and, and that you know they're able to take advantage of that in the future. There's a lot of luck in this business, by the way, too, because it's like Northern Star even. When they started, 
they, uh, they bought some assets and then did more drilling and found out they were way, way better than what they thought they bought. So that was lucky. Yeah. No, that's not, you know, that's not judgment. Yeah. It can either work for you or the other way it goes is you do more drilling and find that there's no more Well, gold, and we're hearing from... And then you are yeah. unlucky. Yeah, and we're hearing from <laughs> the, the big miners right of just how expensive this all is well, and getting more expensive it's, it's and a, difficult. It's a crapshoot. Mm. Okay. So there you go. Uh, and that mm. was... I can't remember who that was for, Vic, but... Okay. Oh, it was for Vic Brim. All right. Uh, Dan is... We're getting into the bigger end of the market now. Helios, HLS is the ticker code. I'm just looking at the recommendations and a bit of a mixed view coming from the brokers. I mean, just for example, Macquarie has it as an outperform. Uh, Morgan's recently downgraded it to a hold. Morgan Stanley is underweight. Uh, Macquarie says that it's uh, got material upside potential for consensus estimates based on the continued recovery in the volumes of pathology and imaging. Luke? Um, my main note was I found it hard to get excited about this business, not just because it's a, a, a large business and I do naturally prefer the, the small growing businesses, but um, when I looked at it, big numbers around EBITDA and, and EBIT, which again, we'll go back to Mark's original point, um, but also 550 mil net debt um, is, is, is quite a decent debt balance. So y- your interest and your tax, which are being excluded from those numbers, it quickly gets eaten into and you, you don't get left much at a cash flow or a net profit level. Um, I think there's a very good argument, and this is maybe what the brokers are saying, that there is a lot of rationalization in this business that could happen, um, even at a quick glance without knowing it well. A lot of different segments and geographies and um, Australian clinical labs tried a very bold takeover not long ago as a, you know, about a third the size of Helios. It's one of the more bold takeovers I've seen in a long time. It looks unlikely to go through, but I'm sure there are people looking at Helios similar to what Australian Clinical Labs was and thinking mm. there is a lot of fat that could probably be trimmed away or, or rationalization of some, some loss-making or under-earning segments and, um, you know, a decent core there. Um, there would be a lot of pent-up, what they call business-as-usual demand um, in, in the pathology and, and, the, and the hospital side of things, as you know, from, from COVID. But for me, it's, it's sort of hard to trust that Helios is fully optimised to take advantage of that. Um, you know, it's not a business that's been run well in the past, trades on a very lofty valuation, I think because of the defensiveness and the industry it plays in. Um, but yeah, for me, like I said, I, I struggled to get enthused. And, and the debt is actually um, more of a problem than what it seems, because if you look at Sonic Healthcare or even Australian Clinical Labs, mm-hmm. these businesses got a massive boom from COVID and those guys took all the cash they got, paid down their debt, made acquisitions. I don't know what Helios did with it. They took on more debt. Like where did the where did the where did the um, boom but, go? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. They, these these guys were earning 80 percent margins on COVID testing. Uh-huh. Like Sonic disclosed that you know sort of after the fact. Um, we we yeah, were we paying, as taxpayers. We, it, were, yeah, we but, were funding okay. that, but, yeah. but they you, you mean know, gouging? They, <laughs> yeah, they took that free cash and, and used it well. And, and when I look at Helios, I look at their balance sheet. So where the where the boom go? Yeah, okay. um, Interesting. Anyway. Um, Look, population growth, do you factor that in at all with the migration in your outlook for Helios? Uh, well, they're, they're, it's a plus, yeah. yeah, for sure. So you could say, I mean, often companies will have a combination of headwinds and tailwinds. I and mean, what we try and do is go, is the environment conducive for the business or not? You know, if it's, it doesn't mean that even if it's not that you won't invest in it, but you just need to think about it from the point of view of it's easier to make money when the business is growing. So that's why we look at what the sales growth has been as well as earnings. And I, I agree with Luke, the debt is the biggest one. We're showing at 92% debt to equity, which is way over our maximum. So it fails on that. So Team Invest wouldn't even look at it. Uh, return on capital, 
Uh, well, return on equity is okay at 15, but return on capital is nine, which is below our minimum 10 as well. And the reason that is that it adds the debt to the um, to the equity is that's what the return on capital is. So so as that goes up, and I agree with Luke, with interest rates going up, that's going to be material now. So we don't, I don't know what their uh, rollover on their debt maturities are, but you can be assured their cost of uh, financing will go up significantly, which is going to be a big drag on earnings, all things being equal. Mm. And uh, they've increased it. Yeah, you know, according to my uh, my graphs. Yeah, I think they have. Uh, it also fails on stability. The stability we've got it at forty one percent, which means it's it's all over the shop. Now, even if you give them a even if you give them a free card for COVID, their earnings went from. I'll give an example: in two thousand fifteen, earnings were forty six cents. In two thousand seventeen, they were negative twenty cents. Okay, well, how do you explain that? If you look at the sales through that period, they were flat. Mm. So in other words, their revenue was the same, but they managed to turn a healthy profit into a really big loss. Then they got back to break even, then went back down again in 20, and then it went up, which is then COVID. And that's gone down in the last 12 months after COVID. How do you, from that, how could I look at that and go, well, what do I think the future's going to be? We've got no idea. And it's on a high Mm peak as well. So return, if you bring that back to, we're showing returning 7% a year on a margin of safety, which is not diabolical, but it's in the mediocre category. Yeah. So we we wouldn't be interested. Okay. So Nicholas didn't give us context as to whether he already owns it or is looking to buy it. So you would not be buying either of you. No. Would you hold it though if you're already in it, considering it has defensive qualities in the healthcare space? Uh, I wouldn't, because no? I think there's better places you put your money. Okay. Yeah, I'd probably agree. I'd probably own Sonic instead. Yeah. Got it. All right, guys, thank you. And Nicholas, that was for you. Just remember that this is information only. This is not, you know, this is not financial advice. We don't know your financial circumstances, so you need to do your own research or, you know, get advice if, uh, if you so need it. Um, Our next stock on the list, I believe, is QV Equities. Uh, Sorry, Nicholas, QV is for you. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, Dan Dan was for Helios. So, Nicholas, QV Equities. I dare say it's possible you've brought this to our attention because there was a little bit of news associated um, with this company. Uh, just last week, and that was that Wham Mm. is creeping up QV Equities register. Look, I'm not... um, you know, overly familiar with this listed entity. So, Luke, what is it? Uh, neither was I. Yeah, and okay. It rang a bell when I saw it on the list. And I thought, yeah. well, how did I know this name? And you, I was the exact same as you. I'd read it in the AFR the other week. Um, so, it's a listed investment company from Investors Mutual. Um, right. Yeah. So, Simon Conn, um, who runs their small cap strategy, this must be their listed mm-hmm. vehicle of that. I'm not sure why it's called QVE, to be honest. Um, so, they're in that small mid cap space, a bit of a value tilt to what they do. Um, it's been tough for that sort of strategy the last few years. And just when you thought with higher rates, maybe it was time for the value managers to shine, tech you know, booms again and uh, they're all left underperforming. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of LICs in general, to be honest. I think the vehicles are, you know, they're not, they're not the best structured vehicles for, for shareholders, but nonetheless, they exist. Um, and as you said, Jeff Wilson with his war vehicle is looking to, to roll up or, or buy some of these um, LICs that have large discounts to their NTA, close that and, and you know, provide a benefit to shareholders and also uh, the strategy that he's running. Um, look, as far as it's hard to sort of talk about it from a recommendation point of view, as far as the business pre-Wilson, what they were doing, I'd probably just 
you know, I'd hold it if you like the strategy and the manager, but I'm not a big fan of the structure. I'd rather invest, you know, into their funds directly rather than take a discount to the NTA. Um, with Wham, there again, I don't, I haven't looked too close exactly what their strategy is. I must admit, um, but it does look to close gaps to, to, to NTA. So maybe there's a strategic play there that um, you know Nicholas is writing in about. That that's a bit harder for me to comment on. But mm-hmm. otherwise, look, I'd just hold it. Um, I, I, I like um, Simon and the team, and I like their strategy. Um, you probably have to take a long-term view through the current market, or as always. But um, yeah, a bit hard for me to comment too much yeah. on what Wham's doing around it. Okay. Cool. QV equities? Um, well, I read their blurb and basically what they want to do is outperform the index. And the index is that they've made it complicated by taking off the top 20. So you don't have an easy way of actually, uh, that I could see to compare. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. we take the ASX, is it 200 or 100? Is ASX 200, 200 and then take off the top 20. Yeah. And then yeah. that's what that's our hunting ground. Yeah. Okay, now taking off the top 20, I was thinking about, is that a good idea or a bad idea? You know, it's interesting. Mm. You know, yeah. so it's, it's a different idea. Yeah. is what it is. Yeah. But then I go, well, okay, let's see how they perform, and how they perform. It's been pretty miserable. You know, they've got two percent return on equity. The return's been negative. We're showing a negative eight percent a year uh, going forward based on its historic performance. So it's not. It hasn't. It's not performing well. It is paying a, um, a dividend, which I think is about six um, percent. Um, I think last time, which is um, okay, um, but. It's, and it's on a 29p, so I'm not sure where it sits from the point of view of uh, discount to asset, net assets. Do you know that? Um, yeah, it, it was about a 92 cent, oh, sorry, a dollar NTA and, and 90 odd cents. So 10% so about, discount, about 10%. so not massive. Yeah, but it, it was actually much higher. It was like 18, 20% until um, Wilson sort of popped up a, a couple of weeks ago. Right. So on all our metrics, it's not, not performing and it doesn't pass on those, so we wouldn't even consider it. So. Uh, I don't think they've achieved what they their objective was, which was to outperform that index, because so, I don't think they have. Okay. <clears throat> so that would be a big avoid. Yeah. Uh, coming from the t- uh, team at Team Invest, Mark Moreland in particular. Uh, the next one is BWP Trust. <clears throat> and this is another um, way to gain exposure to listed companies, but <laughs> via you know a different vehicle. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh no! This one is the one that owns Bunnings. 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 Bunnings Sorry, I don't know what I was thinking of. Yeah, this is the this is a perfect REIT because you've got really sticky uh, tenants, correct? Yes. Do you like it though? No. No. Why? Uh, Well, it's 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 not bad. Bad. I mean, it passes um, it passes our um, filters, but just doesn't give doesn't give a a return that's worth investing in it. There's a couple of things that uh, are of concern. Is the cross ownerships? What you have is. Uh, Bunnings own a significant part of the trust. I don't know, I can't remember what the percentage is, but they own shares in the trust. So there's these cross ownerships and you go, well, how does the trust operate in its own as its own entity to maximize returns to shareholders when it's partly owned by Bunnings, which is where all the properties are? You know, there's 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 definitely conflicts there, whether they are in real life, I'm not saying they are, but it, I would go, well, I I don't I don't like that. Um, it also mean, and also I looked at some of the restrictions on um, uh, how much they can increase the rents and so on, and there were very, very uh, severe restrictions long term on the trust's ability to adjust things accordingly, up or uh, up particularly, but not down. So down can go down, rents can go down, but they can't go up much, very little. You know, so yeah. whereas normally if this was an independent trust that owned the properties, that wouldn't be the case. They would have leases that have all sorts of different terms and conditions in them and so on. But this is like structured is we'll set this up so that it's convenient for us. It, 
changes our capital structure. So we're taking all the whatever capital they had to allocate mm -hmm. to own properties, stick it in the trust. We'll can sort of control it to make sure that it does enough to be okay. And I go, well, do I want to invest in that? No. Okay. Um, is there anything that you agree or disagree with there? I agree with all of that. Yeah. I, th I think as, as you sit here, you are a minority interest uh, against Wes Farmers. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure that's the place you want to be. I didn't even mention the name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you, look, it's, it's, I don't, Mark didn't mention what their stability is. I would that's guess it. it's probably 100%. Oh, because great. Yeah. It's 99.3. You, you look at the trajectory and it's, this business just gives you uh, 18 cent dividend annual or distribution annually. Yeah. Um, and it's 1.6%, right? Yeah. Oh, sorry. It, it's it's. I think it's per quarter. Yeah. Um, so you get about like a five percent return or something like that. You get actually more return deposit right now. I was just going to say. Yeah. Put, yeah. It in the, put it in the bank. And that's a big problem I have with this business. Is if you went back two years ago, I thought you were getting an extremely stable um, distribution stream, and there's some value in that. Um, you know, when we talk about defensiveness and, and paying a premium for defensiveness. This is, you know, it's it's Bunnings and, and you know, you, you're so well positioned from that point of view. But as the, as those rates have risen and, and these guys, there's no capital growth behind this business anymore. It's just literally extracting the, the value and paying out a, a payout ratio to shareholders. Um, that that yield is now not nowhere near as competitive. So again, I, my comment here is there's just not a lot to get, not a lot to get excited about. If you are uber, uber defensive and, and, you know, for some reason you're full with your allocation to fixed income and term mm. deposits, you know, yeah, there's maybe a position for it, but there's better REITs and that's hard for me to say because I'm not a big fan <laughs> of REITs. <laughs> All right, I wrote that down. Ah, we'll find out which ones those are maybe in a later episode. Okay, so that is, look, not an incredibly positive first half of the show, but uh, yeah, I kind of figured it would be like that when I saw the list. Stock of the day was mad pause. Look, I had one viewer write in and say, what a bad pick. Another wrote in and said, great call on mad pause. We're here for the conversation and the variety. And mad pause was out with a quarterly today. It's a hold if you're in it for Luke. But again, just with that small micro cap thematic, it's not taken off just yet, but you want to keep companies like this at least on your watch list. Look, Mark says that sales are going in the right direction, encouraging, but uh, you want to wait. You just want to wait and see execution. Not there yet, likes companies to be profitable. J-Ride, it's a sell or is it, it's a pass for Mark. He just doesn't he just doesn't see it in what's uh, out there so far. And again, for Luke, it's a bit of a hold if you believe the thesis will come to fruition, but he would just be sitting on the sidelines. Felix, very, very specky, according to Luke, very specky, according to Mark as well. Neither would be buying. Helios, it's actually a sell for my guests because mostly at the debt levels, Luke says, what was the opportunity lost in, uh, in COVID? Debt being a problem for Mark as well, so stick away or steer clear of that one. There's other places that you can be. QV equities, it's a hold, but uh, Luke's not a very big fan of LICs in general. And Mark wouldn't be in this one because look, the returns aren't good. That's what it's there to do. And it's not outperformed. Okay, BWP Trust, you just heard the guys talk about it. So they would be steering clear of this one. All right, that is the halfway mark. Uh, look, we've got our portfolio still going. In fact, the Investment Committee new edition is about to be recorded. Looking forward to that. You can watch the old one at osbiz.com.au if you want to familiarize yourself with anything. Uh, we did make some changes. So let's see how the portfolio is performing up 6.1% on a cumulative return basis since its inception. So keep sending in your requests and uh, we will 
keep putting uh, some of the picks from, from this part of the process to the investment committee. All right, uh, we will be talking about Newcrest Mining, interesting one today, production report, but offer on the table. Imogene is out, uh, often one of the best performers when it comes out with these clinical results, which seem to come fast and furiously. Tenant Minerals, back to the miners or explorers, and QBE Insurance and Aristocrat Leisure. So we'll leave some good time at the end to discuss those companies. But Jessica has picked Newcrest Mining. It is the sixth stock of the day. Production improved on the quarter. Uh, but all in sustaining costs were higher. It does though, I mean, the elephant in the room is that it's got the offer on the table for Newmont. So if board is recommending it still, if you're a Newcrest Mining shareholder existing, you would stay in it, but is there any reason to buy at this point? Um, I actually, I, I didn't get a chance to run the numbers on what the discount looks like okay. right now. Um, that would be the only way I would say yes to that if, if that discount is, is looking quite juicy. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. I mean, normally when you see um, takeovers, they're usually cash. And so you see the share price jump up to maybe a few percent discount to, to where the takeover will be. And you sort of sit there for a couple of months, it all goes through and no worries. And of course, Newcrest shareholders wake up the other day and the stock's off 5%. Well, yeah, because Newmont reported poorly. It's a yeah. script takeover. So you're getting um, 0.4 Newmont shares for every Newcrest. Um, so yes, you're now at the whims of what the Newmont share price is doing over there on the, I'm guessing the New York Stock Exchange. Um, I don't know, I, I know of Newmont, obviously don't know that stock very well. Um, Newcrest report today looked okay. They scraped into the bottom end of their guidance. But as you said, a lot of miners right now are reporting some big problems around cost and um, labor supply issues. Um, cost, cost inflation. Um, so as a standalone business, yeah, Newcrest probably doesn't excite me too much. We haven't picked up any positivity in the second half yet, Nadine, but that takeover is there. Um, if you run the numbers and, and maybe if that discount's creeping up towards 10 to 15%, I, I could understand being interested, but you're playing an arbitrage at that point. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very different investment to, to what I would traditionally do. I'm a, you know, I want to find stocks, buy and hold them and, you know, watch them grow into the long term. Um, but for some investors, if, you know, you're looking to flip capital and, and, you know, find opportunities like this, that could be interesting. I, you'd have to run the numbers and you'd have exchange rates and all sorts of things yeah. change on a daily basis. So yeah. just, just be aware of that. But that, that'd be where I would say buy if you ran that, it was sort of around that 10% to 15% discount. Hold it if you own it. I'd hold it if you're yeah. there. Oh well, sorry, you've got to be willing to take on Newmont shares. I, yeah. I, I'm guessing Newmont will do a dual, like a, a depository over here, similar to what Square did. Ah, that's a guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure. If, if you want Newmont, otherwise you could probably exit. Um, yeah. Well, I just had a look at Newmont. It looks way <laughs> worse than Eucharist. They're, they're losing money. We're showing it returning negative 24% a year. So they're on two, minus two return on equity. They've got 32% debt, which is not too bad. It's about a 40, 34 billion market cap compared to um, Newcrest, which was what? NCM. I think it's half that, I think. Newcrest. Um, you got Newcrest market cap? Uh, oh, market cap, 20-odd billion. 20, so it's, it's about 50% bigger than Newcrest. But Newcrest is a profitable business. It, it's not returning brilliantly, brilliant returns. Uh, and it's on, a, I think, a pretty lofty PE based on what its earnings are. Uh, but Newmont, just quick, having a quick look at it, looks way weaker. So they obviously see buying Newcrest as enhancing their business. So based on that, and that's a very superficial um, analysis of it, I wouldn't want Newmont shares. So if they're, if the sales going through and uh, the board's uh, recommending it, I would sell the new I would sell the new crash shares. 
now rather than take the, the only uh, new mod, consideration of and again as you always say not specific advice um new crests are likely to pay a dollar 10 special i was going to just dividend. say there's a oh. special divvy yeah, and it, yeah it is franked so okay. there's so some that for, okay. there's some vehicles if you're sitting there in a super or something like that oh. there, there might be a good reason to hold on until you get that yep. um i can't see whether they'll do the cdi listing similar to what square yep. did that's with what i'm just pay. looking as well um, i can't see it i should know this apologies yeah which which might create issues because if your brokerage isn't set up to hold international shares um i, I would assume they would do a, a cdi listing here similar to what square did um, but that would, yeah, so uh, maybe a buy on that on that discount if it's there, or a hold if you're a investor who can take advantage of frank dividends. Yep, got it. All right. So look, just so hold or hold or whatever. Either way, then I'd be reluctant to take a new one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be so excited about operationally, fundamentally, yeah, long term yeah. of either. But yeah, there's, okay. there's a bit going on. Jessica, you're going to have to you know make your own considerations for your own particular circumstances on that one. Um, it's uh, not really a buy hold sell sort of. Uh, By the way, scenario. just on you, Chris, we yeah. didn't actually talk about them because they're yeah, being yeah, taken over. Yeah. I had a look at the 10-year return return, which I've started doing on these companies. It's yeah. actually good, gives you a snapshot. What's happened over the last 10 years? And Newcrest has been 1.31% uh, average return per year total, including capital gains and dividends, is what your return on Newcrest is for the last decade, which is pathetic. Mm. Okay, there so you I go. wouldn't want you cursed either. No, History is a guide. Yeah. All right. Let's get to uh, the next on the list, which is Imugene. Uh, look, it's in the biotech space. Uh, Bell Potter has a buy on the company. Uh, look, it's it's in you know the clinical trial phases. Um, the FDA has recently actually cleared a new investigational drug application to begin the enrollments into a phase one clinical trial. But again, these are very long-term stories, Mark, and there's um, plenty of things that can go long, uh, awry on the way to, you know, hopefully something that helps anyone, the cancer yes, patients particularly. Yes, yes. Well, I, I used to invest in biotechs and so on in these startups because they, they all have a good story yeah. and they're always, all of them are good things for society. And I, I sort of, I'm rooting for them. I want them to be successful. Yeah. And I think medical science is brilliant and it's going to be, there's going to be some fantastic things coming out over the next few years. And that's all terrific. Very difficult to invest in it though, because it's, it's I think it's even harder than uh, mining explorers, you know, which used to be a graveyard for a lot of money, uh, where, you know, there's the, the odd one hits, it, hits the big time and you make a lot of money. Um, it, it, these are specialized companies as well. so. To be able to have any understanding of where they fit in the scheme of things with their with their uh, products that they have uh, on development and so on, and then even they get approvals and then they've got to market them and then you know, so, there's so many variables in this whole thing mm -hmm. to get to a point where you say this is an investment. Yeah, so, and I'm glad we brought up this chart because it was a bit of a market darling there for a while, yeah. um, but as market cap keeps you know keeps um, fading away, I guess. Yeah, well, they lost. They burned through about 37% of their capital last year. So it, it, they're chewing a lot of money. And if you look at their um, uh, their uh, shares outstanding, um, which I'm just trying to find, uh, they've been in virtually in a 15 degree straight line up, going from 2013 when they were when there was uh, 4.4 of a million, sorry, 0.4 of a billion shares, and now it's uh, 5.9 billion. So you've had sort of a 10 times increase in shares outstanding, mm -hmm. which is okay because what they're doing is they're raising money all the time to keep the uh, the process of uh, get, getting the drugs finalized to be able to get approvals and so on. So how long is that? that that's all shareholder funds. Yeah. And it's very difficult for them to borrow money yeah. when you don't have any earnings. So mm -hmm. that, that's probably going to continue, but it's just way, for me, it's just uh, pre-revenue. There's no way of having any clue of whether it's a uh, 
uh, you'd be speculating in okay. my view. So steer clear. Um, but I was uh, hosting an event about biotechs, and uh, you know, one of the analysts was saying, "Look, when you invest in these companies, you know you're going to get tapped on the shoulder for more mm. cash because that's how it works. You get money to do this, then you need money to get to the next phase. If that works, then you need money to get to the next phase. Is that something at least to keep in mind?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the investors going into this would have known that that will happen. Yeah. Um, I was I was shocked when I started to look at this business because I'd never really looked at it before. I'd heard of it, obviously, because it was a bit of a success story back in 2021. Um, it's still got a 600 mil market cap today. And, you know, we just saw that share price yeah. from um, six, uh, was it $6.09? No, 60 cents to nine cents. It must have been a three or four billion dollar stock at one point, which... <laughs> People smarter than me must know something about what this business is doing. Um, they've got plenty of cash in the bank. So obviously, yeah, I, I'm only half joking when I say that. Big institutions with deep pockets have clearly backed this business and what they're doing. Um, it's a portfolio of cancer drugs. I I did sit down and tried to read their update. A lot of it oh, went straight yeah. over yeah, my head. I've, I've spoken with that. I mean, yeah. it's all very, it, it's, it's legit, it's, you know, it's but, legit it, but, it, but it's complicated. You've got to be a yeah. doctor to understand yeah. exactly what they're doing. Um, but, but as I said, clearly there's people in the market who do have that expertise yeah. and do back companies like this. Um, and there's, yeah, there's clearly something right here. It's that path to commercialization that Mark was talking about where it becomes so much cloudier. Um, 150 mil in the bank's plenty, 10 mil a quarter. They've got a decent runway there, but you know it can be three or four years before it happens. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always happen quickly. I think we got a bit excited, when I say we, the market got a bit excited with Telex Pharmaceuticals, yep. of how quickly that business ramped up its revenue once it got um, FDA approval over there in the States. Yep. Not every business does that. And it, it can be a very slow burn and, and you, know, you can still be cash burning for quite some time, even as revenue comes in. So um, look, I would hold it if you're there just because I, I'm, I'm nowhere near um, specialised enough to, to say that you, know, you should sell this business and to get to that yeah. valuation it has and, and the register of investors it's got, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they're clearly working on something special. It just may take a very yeah. long time before you see a return as a shareholder. Okay, great. Let's get to Tenant Minerals. Let's just do this one quickly. It is Copper Gold. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's doing stage three drilling. It's in the Northern Territory, so a little bit closer to home than Alaska. Appealing? Same comments I yeah. had for Felix. Um, again, very speculative, about 20 odd mil, uh, five mil in the bank. So you've got a bit of cash there to get some you know, drilling results done. And that's the key is, is you're looking for a business to hit some good results, get them to market, um, share price to hopefully have a spike, and then most likely get bought out by a larger peer. Yeah. Um, very few of these businesses actually make it through from that explorer to producer. Um, so again, you're in that stage where it's a bit too early for me to have too much to add, you know, one, once you have revenue, profits, drill, um, you know, production results, I can sort of come in a bit more. Um, but again, I can't, I don't know enough about it to tell okay. Lee to, to sell. So just be aware you, you're speculating. Specky. Oh, same thing. And it's 24 million market cap and they yeah. lost 2.6 last year. So they do have some money. They can do some more drilling, but that, you know, who knows whether they'll, whether they'll have successful holes. So let's get to a bigger company. Let's get to a company that we all know, not necessarily love, but this is picked by Peter. Hi, Peter. Really glad. And thank you for writing in. This is QBE Insurance. So this is a company. Well, that it's got a bit of pricing power right now, doesn't it? Um, you know, high interest rates. If we see interest rates remaining higher for longer, mm. this is all tailwinds. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Um, Berkshire Hathaway, Buffett's company, 
are major investors. In fact, they've got over 50% of the global capital reserves of all in, for ins, all insurance companies. Berkshire aren't just Sorry, what was that stuff? Berkshire Hathaway has over 50% oh, of wow. the dollar value of reserves of the insurance industry globally. Oh, Even, and they have about 7% share. Yeah, okay. So, uh, which is interesting. So, strength. Yeah. But I've been, I've been uh, reading a really good book, if anyone's interested, called um, The Deals of Warren Buffett. It's three books, actually, that it goes through. And the amount of money he has lost on insurance, even though it's been fantastic overall, mm-hmm. and he's often said insurance is not for short-term investors. Now, he, when he says short-term, he doesn't mean trading. He yeah. means not five years. You need to take a 20-year view because they are very cyclical and you can really stuff them up. And, um, they, uh, and, and they have all these case studies of how... Buffett, who's a genius, lost billions of dollars in insurance. It's way beyond the uh, pay grade of in- investors to be able to deal with it. Because even when you look at QBE and look at their uh, current returns on, and look at their combined ratio, and the combined ratio is a good basic thing to look at because it gives you the, uh, if, it's, if you have a combined ratio of 100%, it means that what you're receiving in all your premiums, um, less claims, less expenses is 100. And if it's above 100, you're making, uh, you're losing money. And if it's below 100, you're making money, right? So 100 is a break yeah. even. So it's the uh, Buffett tends to work on, uh, if, he, if he has a combined ratio, it's even slightly positive, that's okay, because he makes all the money on the flow, mm. you know, investing the flow. Most people can't do that. QBE nearly blew itself up in the GFC because they had major, they had major stock market investments in the wrong companies. They had Babcock and Browns and things like that. So they burnt a lot of their float. You know, so then after that, they said, okay, we can now only have, um, uh, we're only going to put our money into bonds and cash, which means they've had no return for all these years. So that's been a significant drag because QB would have quite a big float. Um, and then, uh, then they, we had a CEO, Halloran, O'Halloran, made some acquisitions in the US, yep. which, turned, and, and, uh, which turned out to be really bad. He ended up getting the and bullet. Then they saw them. And, and, and then QB actually went from being a very profitable company to an absolute dog. And it's taken a decade to get out of it, and it's sort of getting there. Um, now we're, we're showing it returning a, a positive return, but it does fail on um, return on capital of 6.6 and so on, and, and stability is not good. So the more I've learned about Buffett's deals and insurance, the more I've realized I am not, have no interest to ever invest in insurance. Because you don't again. have the money behind you and you don't have necessarily a 20, 30, you know, well, year Well, you know view. the problem is he said, he, said he bought, uh, I'm trying to remember which one it was, one of the big, I think it was General Re when he bought that. And what they'd done is the books were great, but they'd, un- they'd underpriced all the policies for the last two years. So when, when do you find out when you un- underprice the policies? Later, yeah. when they get claimed. Then you, go, then you have to mark it all back. And he took billions of dollars worth of losses. Yeah. So, so, so insurers, including QBE, just too hard, too hard basket. Yes, too hard. So QBE yeah. could look great and then blow itself up in two years because of what decisions they made five years ago. Okay, so if you looked at the yearly chart though, if you have got some upside in that, say over the past year, uh, you'd be selling, taking profits. I think so. What do you think? I'd take profits as well. Um, I agree with all that. Insurance is very hard, and, and um, I, th- I think I've joked on the program before that it, it's amazing to me that Warren Buffett, you know, is the best investor of all time, definitely in our lifetimes. Um, actually, managed to make money off insurers, admittedly in the early <laughs> days, but they were very different back then. And dis- distribution for insurers has really changed, and, and now the ease which, with which we can switch insurers and pricing becomes so much more competitive, um, and that's why you've seen the short-term tailwinds um, and. I remember I was on a show with Gaurav about a year ago, actually, and we sort of predicted this, that short term you would see insurers do well because um, in the short term, rates are rising 
particularly quickly, um, they're getting that investment income. And it does, there's a bit of a lag effect before competition kicks in and, and the pricing you know, gets competitive and comes down. And admittedly, even in this update uh, recently, QBE, I mean, 13% premium growth, uh, as you said, is above inflation and, and whether that's brand or pricing power, I'm not sure, but it, it is impressive they're able to, to sort of achieve that. Um, but I've got no faith that sort of sticks around over time. And, and I think I've got this view that insurers even if they make more on the float on investment returns, even in safe defensive investments with rates where they are, um, that gives them the leeway to then be more competitive on the premium side and try to take market share and underprice and you know rely on the earnings from over here to, to, to even them out. So I just think a commodity business, yeah, the short-term tailwind from rates is nice and you've seen that come through, but long-term, I just think it's very difficult for any of these businesses to really get excess returns or, or carve out a, an actual niche or brand in the market. There's actually adding to that too, I agree, is uh, Buffett has said that uh, he doesn't penalise his insurance groups if they don't write uh, policies. So in other words, if the market's being irrational in the pricing, mm. don't write any policies. Mm. And, you go, Which, and you go, hang on, who can do that? Yeah. He can do it. He can do it. Yeah. But normal companies, you can't, can't do that because no. you're the CEO, you've got to keep the money going through. Yeah, exactly. So what do you do? You discount. You reduce it to be competitive, which could be putting you in a loss, and you might even know it, but it yeah. defers the problem. Yeah. And hopefully, you see what I mean? It's well, like, I leaving the uh, investors to one side, I really hope there's some competition creeping into our yeah. insurance prices soon because, yeah, we're all feeling the pinch. Let's get to the lucky last on the list. And uh, this is Aristocrat Leisure. So we're chatting about Aristocrat Leisure for Gotham. Um, ALL is the ticker code. It reports out of out of cycle. It does, right? yeah. So we won't be hearing from it in this reporting season. Uh, but, uh, you know, it has been a, a favorite of many of the guests on this program. It's got the digital exposure. It's got a lot of the U.S. market locked up, you know, continues to innovate. What do you think? Uh, I like it. I mean, it's not cheap, and that's the only thing you could probably poke a hole. Um, other than an ESG, you know, well, if you've got yeah, that ESG. sort of focus, put that to the side. Um, about 25-ish times earnings. Um, you know, that's... It's not super expensive compared to, particularly where aristocrats probably traded above 40 in the past. But in this environment, you know, you probably would like it a little bit cheaper, um, all things considered. Um, not one I look at, obviously, all the time. And I was um, pretty surprised to find out that mobile gaming segments now nearly half of their revenue. Um, and they made an acquisition, which probably does take it to more. So, you know, we still think, I think as a market, still think of Aristocrat as the pokey machines. But more and more, this is a mobile gaming business um, rather than rather than pokies. Um, and even though that, that key um, pokey segment is... Um, you know, slow growth, highly, highly profitable, you know, 40, 50% um, EBIT margins, which, you know, that's some of the best businesses in the world sort of struggle to get up towards that sort of range. Um, I haven't been positive at all on the program, Nadine, so I, I will lean and say this is a buy. Um, <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no pressure, but, but look. Mark's used to it. <laughs> yeah. um, I have been overly negative, but for just be aware that that price, you know, it might be one where you try and pick it up over time hopefully yeah. it either grows into that valuation a bit or you might see it pull back a little bit but this is a this is a good business and and you know dominating obviously in its core its core business but more and more dominating that that mobile space as well the only risk i see and this is a bit of a black swan risk which is hard to price in and hard to see coming um, but I've thought to myself for a long time that it wouldn't surprise me if Apple or Google regulate the sorts of slot machine games these guys have on the App Store. I'm not sure whether you've ever seen them, but it's it's literally the, the slot machines on your phone. Um, it's technically not gambling, which is how they're, they're able to get them on there. But I, in the back of my mind, I've always thought it wouldn't surprise me if one day Apple comes out and says, look, you know, 
for the image we want to set for our business. Yeah, well, or there'd be pressure into doing it. By yeah, we want to take like it off our store. It's hard to price that yeah. sort of stuff in. Yeah, okay. uh, but just be aware that, yeah, that when we say this is a mobile gaming business, a lot of it's actually slot machines on your iPhone. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. Um, what do you think of Aristocrat? Uh, quality business. Uh, yeah. It's passed our filters for years. So it tends to get voted down by members uh, because of the mm-hmm. uh, because of the gambling connection. Yeah, um, I'm I'm in the same boat. But if you just look at the business and forget those judgments, um, it's it's been very solid. It's growing its earnings at about 14 percent a year with pretty good stability, and uh, sales growth's about the same. So that's been over six years. So it's a, been a very consistent growth with high stability. We like that. Return on equity is 19 percent, which is excellent. The only negative, and as Luke pointed out, is that the PE ratio we've got it as 27 at the moment is at the uh, top of the black. We have green bottom quartile, middle 50% top quartile. So it's very close to top quartile, which means it's not cheap by aristocrat standards, what it can be. And to get it at the, um, uh, you want to be getting it at, I'll tell you how much you want to, you want to pay 31.76 to get it at the top of the green. Now that this green red thing happens every year. This is the range for that individual company each year. So it's variation on PEs. Um, is going to be goes it goes through a range of minus 22 PE for green and plus 27 for red, if you like. Mm-hmm. So it's at the high end of the middle at the moment. So not cheap. If you buy it today, we're showing it returning on our default metrics 14% a year compound for the next five years, which is good, or 6.2 on safety. So if I want, we like margin of safety, it gives you yeah. a bit of latitude. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted a 10% return on a margin of safety, then you could pay uh, about $33. Okay. Which is not that far off where it is, yeah. but it's. Uh, and then I think that way it's pretty low risk uh, business, uh, good return based on that. Okay, so you just so like to get it a bit I'll say it's a buy at that price. Because oh, okay. for the same reason, we yeah. haven't had any, any. At that price. <laughs> at that positive. price, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. you buy it now, but it's, uh, I wouldn't because it'll come down. Okay. You just be patient. Yeah, mm. be patient. Patience is a virtue, is a virtue. as they mm-hmm. say. All right, let me just run through quickly what we've learned in this half of the program. <clears throat> and uh, Newcrest Mining, look, it's a buy potentially on arbitrage. But uh, look, it's a hold for Luke in the main, um, particularly in light of that special dividend that will come through. It's a sell, though, uh, for Mark, generally speaking, unless you know, you've already been in it and then you could potentially hold it for. Actually, you don't want to own Newmont, so this, no. is, this is a sell for you. No. Okay, Imogene, just really Just how tough. you get out of it. Yeah. Christian. Yeah, okay. Um, pre-revenue, this is not interesting to Mark. Uh, it's a hold if you're in it for Luke, but again, there's a lot into the business that he doesn't understand. And yeah, it has been uh, losing a lot of ground as of late. Tenant Minerals, specky, specky, QBE, sell, sell. So take profits if uh, you've been in it for the past year or so, um, but just very cyclical, really interesting stuff coming from Buffett's view on insurers. You can listen back to this if you would like. Um, Aristocrat Leisure, not cheap, not cheap on either of my guests' metrics, but they both say that it's a quality company. Mark says patience is a virtue. Um, it's a sort of reluctant buy right now at these levels for Luke. Hey guys, I thought that went really well. I enjoyed the program. Bit of small, bit of large, you know, and and a lot of agreement as well on these companies. So thank you. That was uh, really good. Really appreciate it. Mark Moreland from Team Invest and Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. Thanks, All right. Thank you for watching. Thank you for sending in your requests. Please keep doing so. Osbiz.co forward slash call picks and stay with us. We've got a packed program on the pulse coming right up. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.